a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, my fellow wrong thinker, and thanks for joining me on the show today. The program is brought to you today by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, also by Jeff Staples Real Estate, and... My friends at the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, I do thank them all for being sponsors of the show. And again, thanks to those of you who have become regular patrons and donors and uh, are doing your part to uh, help support the show. Got a lot to talk about today, and some of this may sound just a touch harsh. But this year being what it is, as chaotic as 2020 has been, um, I have to say there, there's a bright side. And here, here's the bright side. For the first time, a lot of people are beginning to realize that, hey, maybe the enemy that I'm told we must stand against isn't really each other. I know that's kind of a tall order in an election year because that's usually what a lot of the campaigning sounds like. But our enemy really isn't each other. In fact, it's as Albert Nock explained many, many years ago, nearly 80-some years ago, in his essay, Our Enemy, the State. That's right. It's the the coercive state by which some people, a very small minority of people to be exact, use that uh, compulsion to bend other people to their will. You look at the mischief that's going on around us. You look at the the kind of suffering that's taking place. And by the way, we're going to be talking specifically about California. Bertine Schaefer has a great essay about can California be saved from its politicians? And I love it because she correctly identifies a lot of the problem, but she also lays out some solutions, which I'm sure are going to turn a few heads, maybe all the way around, like 360 degrees, like in The Exorcist. Definitely some good stuff here, though. We'll also uh, spend a little bit of time talking about Senator Mike Lee from my home state of Utah. He is under fire right now for pointing out on Twitter that too many people use the word democracy without understanding what it actually is and how democracy is antithetical to actual peace, liberty, and prosperity. By the way, the thoughtless crowd is uh, taking his correction very hard. <laughs> it's, they're not happy with it at all. And if we have time, I want to share with you a piece from uh, Kent McManigal on the difference between tolerance and approval. But let's, let's begin with an essay from George F. Smith explaining the true coercive nature of the state. It's called The One Lockdown That's Killing Us All. And if you have been shaking your head at how things have just tipped in 2020 and you find yourself struggling to feel like, man, am I, am I ever going to feel free again? Am I ever going to feel like I can live my life without, you know, some threat looming over me? Listen to this. We're not the first people who've had to struggle with this, first of all. George Smith says in the 1930s, first Hoover, then Roosevelt, tried to fix the economy that would have fixed itself if it had been left alone which was the lesson decidedly not learned from the Depression of 1920 to 1921 and the panics of the 19th century. What, you didn't know about these? Oh, come on. little history. 
That depression of 1920 to 21, by the way, he has a link within the article, well worth your time to brush up on that. Because the Great Depression that followed just eight years later, nine years later, yeah, yeah, it could have been avoided. Anyhow, George F. Smith says if it had been left to recover on its own from Federal Reserve meddling, there might have been a chance the meddler would have been shut down. But really, he says there was no chance. Anyone who understands the Fed's purpose, keeping the biggest bank solvent through counterfeiting, knows repealing the law that established it was not a thinkable option, given the corrupt powers that supported it. So the Fed, supercharged after FDR made owning gold coins a felony, remained on the scene and advanced its career as an untouchable counterfeiter, creating a legacy of inflation, a policy indispensable to a welfare warfare surveillance state. Big suffocating government doesn't thrive on direct theft, in other words, legislated taxation, alone. State growth also creates connections with individuals and organizations not formally a part of the state apparatus. It has a name, crony capitalism. Since the state deals with others by force and thrives within its sphere of influence by bestowing favors, there are always people seeking privileges such as protection from competition, tax breaks, or monetary outlays. That means bailouts. In return, the state receives support in the form of political endorsements, election donations, votes, and marginalizing the views of those opposed to state policies or the state itself. Any crisis arriving on the scene, whether it's state-caused or natural, he says, is subject to state handling. People expect the state to do something, and it does. Today, the state is doing plenty about the coronavirus, and no surprise, it is creating a social catastrophe. Now, George Smith says, look, it's a challenge to document 2020's outburst of tyranny when so many levels of government are contributing to the mayhem. But here are a few. Number one, states ordering non-essential businesses to close while letting so-called essential businesses remain open. If a business weren't essential, it wouldn't be doing business. Fortunately, at least some business owners are defying the orders. Number two, with so many small businesses shut down and employees furloughed or fired, the federal government turned to its counterfeiter to ease their pain. Short-term relief only, of course. And most Americans aren't complaining, but they will when they're greeted with monumental tax increases that could eventually wipe out the middle class. But the CARES Act is rarely presented in such truthful terms. Instead, the government, with its astronomical debt, somehow found $2.2 trillion in its back pocket it had apparently forgotten about. So the Treasury, not the Fed, passed it out to the people including thousands of foreign workers living overseas. Money is truly no object when it's controlled by the government and its printing press sidekick. Number three, stay-at-home orders for everyone, even after the virus has shown an affinity for the elderly with existing medical problems and almost no concern for healthy people under 30. Lockdowns prevent herd immunity and delay recovery. People jailed in their homes get depressed, divorced, commit suicide, abuse spouses and children, drink too much, and fail to care for other health issues. They also tend to stay unemployed if they can't work from home. And he says the state knows all of this. Number four, mask confusion. State health authorities saying early on that masks aren't needed for everyday activities and then reversing themselves. Studies and demonstrations showing the futility of masks along with their numerous downsides have yet to remove the mandates. 
Number five, making people afraid to get too close to one another. We must keep at least six feet apart unless you're rioting for a leftist cause. States have tried hard to outlaw hugs. We can find ludicrous, though often creative ways some people circumvent normal hugging. Number six, outlawing or restricting outdoor recreational activities. Remember the video of the cop chasing a lone jogger off the beach? Or the young mother who was tasered and arrested for not wearing a mask while watching her middle school son play football? Number seven, hobbling professional sports. No, you know, with the fake stand, fake fans in the seats, along with crowd noises lifted from a video game, no tailgating, announcers and commentators broadcasting remotely or spread far apart, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell fining two head coaches $100,000 apiece for not wearing masks properly on the sidelines, also fining their teams $250,000 apiece. Number eight, canceling the NCAA basketball tournaments for both men and women. At first canceling, and then allowing under restrictions the college football season. Two major conferences have yet to begin play. TV viewers are seeing cheerleaders with masks strapped to their faces, cheering from the stands or from the sidelines, with gaping holes in the bleachers where fans normally sit. Meanwhile, amid all the PC caution, the players engage in a rough contact sport on the field. But even under duress, the free market comes through. Here's a quote from an article at LSU last week. Fans were able to purchase a cut of cutout of themselves to be placed in the stands where 82,000 empty seats looked on. The cost? $50. That's depressing, he says, but it's a choice and it's a way for the school to recover a bit of lost revenue. Now, there's more to this article. We'll come back to it in a few moments. Again, this is from George F. Smith, the one lockdown that's killing all of us. Why am I sharing this with you? I promise it's not because I'm trying to depress you or give you a sense of hopelessness that, oh, my goodness, it's all lost. But just to to quantify what we are actually facing, sometimes it's easy to forget. Sometimes, well, a lot of the time, people will try to cling to some belief that somehow all of this really was justified and actually for the better. I'm here to tell you, no, it wasn't. And it isn't. And that's why we should resist. I know how radical that sounds, but uh, I'll come back and see if I can can defend it somehow. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, welcome back. I'm sharing with you an article from George F. Smith, the one lockdown that's killing us all. And it's not just the COVID lockdown, it's it's the state it's the, the way that the state has become an all-powerful force in our lives rather than a protector of our liberties, which, by the way, is the reason that it was ever in, invented or created, rather, and called into existence in the first place. We were working our way through a list of examples of how the coronavirus and the response by the state has not blessed us or saved us, but actually uh, limited our lives and inflicted untold misery. The ninth thing that he mentions here is uh, criminally 
the suppression and in some cases outlawing of a demonstrably effective treatment for SARS-CoV-2 hydroxychloroquine. He says the government has never before restricted physicians from prescribing an FDA-approved medication. That's according to America's frontline doctors. Santa Monica cardiologist Dr. Dan Wolgalenter, Wolgalenter, sorry, that's not an easy name, said during a June 18th interview, this is an FDA-approved drug for 65 years. It's cheap, generic, widely available. We give it to pregnant women, to breastfeeding women, to elderly patients, to patients who are immune-compromised. Now, initially, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for HCQ and CQ, but then later revoked it. Then, during the brief period under the EUA, that emergency use authorization, the Strategic National Stockpile amassed 63 million doses of hydroxychloroquine. Mylan and Novartis donated millions of doses to the stockpile, with Bayer kicking in another 2 million doses of CQ. Trump called it a game-changer on March 21st, and that changed the game. On June 15th, the FDA revoked the emergency use authorization, saying, specifically, FDA has determined that CQ and HCQ are unlikely to be effective in treating COVID-19 for the authorized uses in the emergency use authorization. Additionally, in light of ongoing serious cardiac adverse events and other serious side effects, the known and potential benefits of CQ and HCQ no longer outweigh the known and potential risks for the authorized use. This warrants revocation of the EUA for HCQ and CQ for the treatment of COVID-19. That's a lot of letters, right? But bottom line is, uh, we changed our minds. Now, most states had already placed restrictions for its use as a prophylactic and by limiting prescriptions to two weeks with no refills. 20-year emergency room physician Dr. Simone Gold was fired for appearing in a video in which she advocated hydroxychloroquine for use against COVID-19. The video, which went viral, was removed from social media. Her employer threatened to fire her colleagues if she didn't go quietly. An ongoing evaluation of hydroxychloroquine called HCQ trial, done anonymously by PhD researchers and scientists under the name of under the name at COVID analysis <clears throat> to avoid another Simone Gold incident, presents findings for countries that do or do not use HCQ. And there's a chart here that shows early treatment makes a big difference and the countries using hydroxychloroquine show far lower mortality rates. Now, George F. Smith says, I'll let the reader decide whether the war on HCQ is at all related to the left's war on Trump and the lucrative revenue stream from government sponsorship of a rushed-to-market vaccine. And finally, example number 10, he says, If the state is concerned with our health, why aren't there spokespeople urging us to boost our immune systems? That's our first line of defense against any infectious disease, along with common sense. Why aren't they now, in October urging us to load up on vitamins D3, K2, and C, especially along with zinc. Why aren't they classifying HCQ as an over-the-counter drug, as it is in many countries, to be used as a prophylactic? So here's his conclusion. He says, In most circles, the fact of government's necessity is never mentioned, but always assumed. Thus, the push for reforms, to get better people in positions of authority, to pass needed legislation on top of the mountains that already exist. 
Always work within the system. Don't rock the boat. Our foundations are still solid. Rarely does anyone call into question the need for government as we know it, the state. And he asks, does the state's virus management give you confidence it's acting in your best interest? He says, for me, it's like something out of Orwell or Nazi Germany. Oh, without the state, there would be chaos, we're told. What do we have today, if not chaos? He says, I haven't even mentioned the riots going on where people defending themselves are charged with serious crimes. The rioters hate the police, and seeing the police stand down, peaceful people now fear for their lives and load up on guns. And now we're being hit with with Black Lives Matter, and only Black Lives Matter. It's no longer a fringe movement. It exists virtually unchallenged. No one, no matter their race, can live long under that slogan. We already have a government we can live with. It's called the free market, but it's been sabotaged by the state. It's locked down, meaning not allowed to operate. And he says we need to set it free. Now, he has actually written a short book about it and produced a 10-minute video explaining it. And he says, if you, thoughtful reader, want a stateless free market, you must tell the world you want it. At the end of the video, I ask you to vote by giving the video a thumbs up or thumbs down. I urge you to give it a thumbs up. Without your affirmation, he says, the stateless free market will forever remain a fantasy, and today's nightmare will only get worse. I know that's a scary thought, because like you, I too have been trained from a very young age. We'd have chaos if we didn't have laws and order and, you know, the state telling us what we need to do. But at what point, what would it take for you and I to say, okay, this has gone beyond simply protecting and, and, and keeping order and has become open tyranny? And I know that's a harsh thing to say. It's a tough thing to ask. But I think we're there. Now, I'm a big fan of agorism. You've heard me talk about it before. If you've you've tuned into the show at any time over the last four or five years, agorism is simply living your life in 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 as far as you can with as little government permission as possible. So instead of going and getting a barber license so that you can cut your kid's hair, you cut your kid's hair. Instead of going and getting a business license so you can teach to the neighbor's kid piano, you teach the neighbor's kid piano. And yes, maybe money changes hands. And you know what? It's none of the state's business. Instead of begging permission to use a portion of your yard to plant a vegetable garden, go plant your vegetable garden. Reduce your governmental footprint. Live like a free man or a free woman who does not beg permission at every turn. Now, I'm talking peaceful behavior. You understand that, of course. But that's what needs to be done. Make the state obsolete in as many places of our lives as possible. Oh, and I'm going to add one more thing. This is from Robert Higgs. Recognize that most of the information sources we have access to have become an arm of the state. He says, imagine an ostensibly independent source of information constantly bombarding the public that ceaselessly fans the fires of fear and group hatred. Could anything be of greater use to the government as it seeks to mislead and thus control people? Ladies and gentlemen, he says, I present the so-called mainstream news media. The state could not have a more powerful friend. No wonder it has captured the media and made them a tool 
in, way, in, great, in ways great and small, direct and indirect. He says, by now we are entitled to view the mainstream media as really just an arm of the state. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. This is one of the reasons why you are going to hear me continue to advocate for the need to build platforms from which truth can be spoken or written or published, whatever the case may be. The mainstream news media is certainly not going to tell you what you need to truly understand the world around you. So we're going to have to do it ourselves. Hey, guess what? That's what agorists would do. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us. If you go to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, that is where you will find the show notes that I publish every day that I do this program. And I have links to all the various articles and essays that I share, as well as links to uh, the, the various guests that I have on the program. I want you to be as well-informed as possible so that you can revel in wrong think to your heart's content. And uh, one of the things I want to recommend is look at the Resources for Wrong Thinkers page on my website. You'll find a number of different sites that you can go to, places you can actually subscribe, and they will drop wonderful content in your mailbox, your email box, every single day, or at least it seems like it's every single day. It's a great way to stay informed. The Foundation for Economic Education is one of my favorite resources. They have solid, principled, articulate writers who are not carrying water for any particular party so much as they are promoting principles of, of free market economics, personal freedom, and, and taking a look at culture through the eyes of, um, of someone who is, is historically literate. It's not just that. Eh, whatever is happening now is obviously the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world. Now, there's an article that was published recently. I think this one came out yesterday by Bertine Schaefer. The title, Can California Be Saved from Its Politicians? Now, you may not live in California, so you might think, well, what's the big deal? But I've heard the saying, and I've come to believe this more and more as time goes on. As goes California, so goes the rest of the Union. Stuff that starts in California somehow has a tendency to spread generally to other parts of the nation. Trends and so forth. And this is true with politics as well as anything else. Fashion, you know, entertainment, that kind of thing. It's a beautiful state, but it's also... A hot mess. <laughs> and, I mean, you talk to people who are moving out of California, which they are by droves. The cost of renting a moving van to get out of California is absolutely astronomical. No, it's not because California has such a high cost of living, but it does. You know, the cost of government is extremely high, so the cost of living follows. But it's demand. It's simple supply and demand. You want to move out of California, you will pay three, four times as much as you will to get a moving van in another state. So let's talk about how California is being destroyed and can it be saved from its politicians. Again, this is an essay from Bertine Schaefer. She says, It's hard to choose one image or juxtaposition of images 
that best sums up the state of California at the end of summer 2020? Is it the eight-year-old girl's birthday party being broken up by a long line of police officers? Or the lone paddleboarder arrested out in the ocean for violating social distancing orders? While only two months later, violent mobs tore through Los Angeles, obstructing traffic, destroying businesses, and burning buildings. Is it Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi claiming that she was set up when she went to have her hair done at a salon, an activity she has complicit in she is complicit in prohibiting for ordinary citizens? Or some of Governor Newsom's wineries remaining open while wineries and other businesses outside of Napa were ordered closed over the Fourth of July weekend? Or is it the let-them-eat-cake tweets from the woman who was instrumental in helping wipe out the livelihoods of freelancers and other independent contractors across California? Or perhaps the comical attempts by a puppet politician for the pharmaceutical industry to portray those who oppose the forced vaccination of their children as violent? Perhaps it's the fire tornado or the millions of acres of charred land left in the wake of devastating wildfires, largely the result of failing to employ rudimentary principles of forestry management that Native Americans understood centuries ago. Or maybe it's just the recent uptick in the throngs of people who have been steadily making their way out of the state for well over a decade. Routine Schaefer says the people who rule over the state of California, and yes, rule is the correct word, may be ridiculous, but they are not harmless. And they're waging open political warfare on anyone living in the state. The disregard the state's political class has for the freedom and well-being of those who live here, she says, is nothing new. Its antagonistic stance towards small and independent businesses, especially, has earned the state its ranking as one of the worst business environments in the nation, thanks to high taxes and a restrictive regulatory environment. For well over a decade, there's been an exodus of businesses and individuals to more hospitable climates, offered by states like Texas and Idaho, and last year saw a 38% leap in out-migration, the difference between those leaving the state and those coming in. She says recent years have seen the results of this disregard approach the surreal, including a crisis in homelessness exacerbated by regulations that make building anything other than luxury homes all but impossible, and bringing with it a resurgence of tuberculosis, a genuine health crisis that produced no mask mandates or social distancing orders, and the criminalization of most independent contracting work, crippling the ability of a great many in the state to make a living. And, of course, those fires. She says when COVID-19 came along, California became one of the worst examples of authoritarian power grabbing, with its governor implementing unprecedented restrictions on personal movement, ordering Californians to wear masks in public, prohibiting businesses from opening and sending out strike teams to make sure they didn't. The governor's antics were topped only by the mayor of Los Angeles threatening to cut off power and water to any businesses that defied the, many argue, unlawful orders. The impact of the damage done by the lockdowns has yet to be fully felt. Nationwide, hundreds of thousands of small businesses have closed permanently, with even more at risk of closing should the lockdowns continue. With one of the tightest lockdown policies, California's economy has been one of the hardest hit. Its unemployment rate is now 13.3%, compared to a nationwide rate of 10.2%. And Michael Burnick, a San Francisco labor lawyer and former director of the State Employment Development Department, told the Sacramento Bee that California's most recent new unemployment figures accounted for about one quarter of all new claims in the U.S., even though the state 
only accounts for 11% of the total job market. That is staggering. The lockdowns have also resulted in hospital closures, as well as increases in domestic violence, child abuse, and other crimes. And there have also been dramatic deaths in, or spikes in deaths from non-COVID-19 causes, including cancer, deaths from despair and loneliness, particularly among those suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia, and suicide, among other costs, some of which are not easy to quantify. Now, Bertine Schaefer says this is all despite an overwhelming body of evidence showing that the lockdowns do not work. That is, they do next to nothing to contain the spread of COVID-19 or prevent hospital overload. You remember the original rationale for the draconian measures based on modeling by serial fake pandemic prognosticator Neil Ferguson. Ferguson's work was so shoddy, one reviewer referred to it as either an outright fraud or the most inept piece of programming I've ever seen in my life. Now, needless to say, the hospital overload never materialized in the U.S. or in countries such as Sweden that did not impose lockdowns. Even if hospital overload had been a legitimate concern, there is no reason to believe that lockdowns would have prevented it. Analysis after analysis comparing those countries and states that imposed strict lockdowns with those that did not show again and again there is zero correlation between government-imposed lockdowns or mask mandates and better outcomes. By the way, she's got the links here. She has the documentation to back this up. Moreover, she says, and as several epidemiologists and others argued early on, attempting to prevent entire populations from becoming infected is a policy goal that makes no sense. As with every other virus since the dawn of humanity, human populations develop resistance to pathogens precisely by being exposed to them. This exposure also helps to protect against new pathogens encountered in the future, as demonstrated, for example, by increased T-cell resistance to COVID-19 in those with previous exposure to other coronaviruses. But she says evidence matters little to those whose goal is simply power over other people's lives. Ignoring all of the above, ignoring the experience of the countries and states that did not lock down, ignoring the complete and utter absence of even a shred of justification for shutting down people's lives, and indeed ignoring the fact that neither the U.S. Constitution nor the Constitution of California empower him to impose any of these restrictions, Governor Newsom simply recited week after week case numbers as if they were in any way meaningful to the discussion and continued the lockdowns. What's his plan now? Well, for all practical purposes, it is to never return to pre-COVID-19 normal. Yeah, on August 28th, he announced a new set of guidelines for counties dictating under what conditions they could begin to ease the restrictions. Under none of the conditions listed, may a county lift the restrictions entirely. Wow. So the governor has moved the goalposts away from the initial goal of flattening the curve, kind of makes you wonder, so what exactly is his endgame? Well, we'll come back to the other side of this break, and we will uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. I think the really fascinating part of Bertine Schaefer's article here, though, are some of the recommendations. They are worth sticking around for, so please stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for being a part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. It feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) If nothing else, you're taking ownership of your mind, and that is something for which you should be proud. It has an effect, too, on the people around you. Not always what you hope, but uh, it, it shows people that it can be done. By the way, our show is brought to you in part today by Jeff Staples Real Estate. Jeff is with uh, ERA Brokers Consolidated. For my listeners in the state of Utah, he can help you. I don't care where you are in the state. Jeff has the resources to help you. If you're looking to sell your home, he'll help you sell your home for more. If you're looking to buy a home, he'll help you buy your home for less. Go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. At the bottom of the page, you'll see a link to Jeff Staples Real Estate. Click on it. You'll find the contact information you need to get in touch with him and tell him thanks for being a sponsor. So I've been sharing this article about uh, the, uh, can California be saved from its politicians? This is from Bettine Schaefer. She is a marvelous writer for the Foundation for Economic Education, and this is an exceptionally good piece. I hope you will uh, take a look at it, and if you like it, share it with your friends and neighbors. She talks about how, Governor Newsom has announced that uh, basically there will never be a return to pre-COVID-19 normal in California. And this is interesting because the standard by which a county's risk level is determined under his guidelines is not deaths and it's not hospitalizations or any other meaningful measurement. It's just simply cases and test positivity rates. And she has a link to another article that tells you why that's meaningless. The governor's goalposts, she says, have moved far away from the initial goal of flattening the curve and with months worth of data to demonstrate the utter uselessness of his measures, it's now clear that his policy decisions have nothing to do with science or evidence of any kind. Now, what's also clear is that he has no intention of relinquishing the power he has obtained as a result of this virus under any circumstances. It's as if the state of California has been assaulted by a, by a hostile foreign power, a power intent on crippling the engines of productivity that keep ordinary people alive and on breaking the spirits and psyches of the people. For the past six months, she says, the government of California has been waging a war of attrition on the people who live there. She says, for those who don't mind spoilers, here's how this ends. As a massive wealth transfer from small independent business owners to large banks, corporations, and to the state. It will be a monumental blow to the ability of anyone to live without either being dependent on the state or an employee, remember that new law about contract workers, of a large corporation. So how do we fix this? Californians have a problem. It's the government of California. The question is how to resolve that problem peacefully. As frustration and economic hardship grow, she says the danger of violent revolt becomes more real. To avoid this deadly and destructive and likely counterproductive outcome, it's critical that we find peaceful solutions now. Now, in California, apparently the state has erupted in calls to impeach Governor Newsom, to have him recalled, and to vote the largely Democratic legislators out of office. Some are taking the governor to court over his unprecedented rights violations. One California church has already won a court battle over its ability to conduct indoor services. And the California Supreme Court has ordered Governor Newsom to respond to lawsuits filed on behalf of a group of schools and parents over his school closure orders. Now, Bertine Schaefer says these are positive steps, but however well-intentioned and worthy of support, they miss the larger point. Should Governor Newsom be impeached, there's nothing to prevent his successor 
from perpetrating the same level of abuses that he has. Nor is a successful lawsuit, something that can only be accomplished after damage has already been inflicted, a guarantee against future abuses. She says we're faced with the urgent task of having to come up with our own lasting means of protecting our rights. Such mechanisms require some outside-the-box thinking. When those in power violate our fundamental rights, we must find peaceful ways to defy them. And she says she's, she's proposed one possible approach in, in an article that she posts here. And she says we've already seen other sensible responses to COVID-19 from many of the California county and other local authorities. With several across the state refusing to enforce the governor's lockdown and mask orders, there's also been talk of splitting California into separate states or of joining some counties with those in other states to form a new state. These are ideas that seem less like idealistic fantasy and more like practical necessities. But she says, whatever solutions we come up with, we must find them soon. Those who do, or those who inflict this kind of devastation on the state only do so because they do not bear the costs of it. But she says, those costs have become too great for the rest of us to bear. Every day brings more and more people closer to bankruptcy and psychological breakdown, and closer to a dystopian new normal that's unlivable for most of us. She says we need to find ways to secure the rights of Californians such that they need never again fear such a gross and complete takeover of their lives. And we need to do it soon before those in power destroy what is left of the state. Dang. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a pretty powerful uh, statement there. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I really strongly encourage you, read the article itself. She has so many supplementary links to information that backs up what she's saying. And this could very well be a model, you know, for other people in other states who are looking to reclaim their autonomy from government gone bad, or at least gone out of control. All right, going to shift gears here for a moment. Uh, I, I find it so interesting that... Uh, Senator Mike Lee, who I guess recently was diagnosed with uh, with COVID nineteen, now has has since recovered. He has uh, he has I think for the most part been a pretty good um, representative of of good government. I've uh, I've been uh, pleased to have him as as my senator. I can't think of very many times he's disappointed me. But do you know he is taking massive criticism right now because he tweeted something about uh, about democracy. And, oh, did it get people flipping out. Here's what he said. His tweet said, Democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, peace, and prosperity are. We want the human condition to flourish, but ranked democracy can thwart that. Now, anybody who has studied history understands that is a true statement. And maybe we need to define democracy just so that people understand. When, when you're talking democracy, you are talking about whatever the majority wants, the majority gets. If, we can, if 50% plus one say, we think that anybody named Joe needs to be thrown off a cliff, in theory, that's how democracy works. The majority has voted, the people have spoken, this is what we want, democracy rules. So Mike Lee is simply pointing out that democracy isn't enough to secure your liberty, your peace, and prosperity. And that's one of the reasons why, if you look very closely at the uh, founding documents, like the Declaration of Independence, like the uh, Constitution itself, the word democracy does not appear in there. 
But boy, do politicians love to throw that phrase around. And, and so, you know, they, they, they use it in a very favorable context. By the way, Mike Lee spoke to the Washington Examiner talking about his tweets because people are freaking out. How dare he be anti-democratic? He says, I get why people use the term. I understand why a lot of people would think of it either as as a non-issue or not something to be concerned about. But he says, as I think about it, I think it is a big deal. Because in many ways, the whole idea of having a constitution itself, particularly a constitution that establishes a constitutional republic like ours, is materially different and distinct from a democracy. He says, in a democracy, when a society decides, hey, let's have a national church, everybody has to go to that church. If you've got a majority for it, it's going to be the law. In a constitutional republic like ours, it operates according to elections, and in that respect, you have democratic forces at play. But to think of it as a democracy and to refer to it obsessively as our democracy sends the wrong message. Pretty powerful stuff. And I don't know why it makes people so so angry, but uh, but it does. The only cure that I can think of is uh, folks, we need to we need to understand what democracy is versus a republic. We need to understand what the proper role of government is and why it was set up the way that it was set up. I shared with you an article from Judge Napolitano yesterday. I think he explained beautifully the separation of powers. In a democracy, that stuff doesn't matter. As long as the majority wants it, the majority gets it. Here's the bottom line, okay? This is, this is civics in a, in, a, in a nutshell. Your rights do not come from government. Your rights are given to you by your creator. Now, if you call that creator God, if you call that creator the universe or nature, doesn't really matter. The bottom line is they are inherent rights. And they limit the power of government or other people over you. Governments are created to secure and guarantee that those rights are observed and protected. And when someone does violate them, that they are held accountable, and that insofar as possible, you are made whole. Period. Full stop. It doesn't exist to give you everything your heart desires at the expense of someone else. That's what democracy does. This is The Brian Hyde Show.